The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. How do we define a mystery? Do the good people of New Mexico and many others involved in what has been termed the ultimate cold case file, it can be defined in a single word. Roswell. At the dawn of the 21st century, Roswell has become synonymous with one of the most important events of all time. For that fact alone, it deserves to be researched and investigated until there is nothing left to investigate, or until a final conclusion is reached that is acceptable to most reasonable minds. Tonight's special guest believes that the latter option has already been achieved. If UFOs don't exist, then they can't crash. But something did crash in July 1947. Was it terrestrial or not? Tonight, we unmask what it might be the government's biggest cover-up. What really transpired in Roswell 75 years ago? Tonight, we'll pry loose the truth the government doesn't want us to know. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's show. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Thomas J. Carey is a U.S. Air Force veteran who held a top-secret security clearance. He has spent the last 23 years investigating the Roswell incident and published more than 35 articles about it. Tom has appeared as a guest on many radio and TV shows and contributed to a number of Roswell-related documentaries. Together with Donald Schmidt, they have written many best-selling books such as Witness to Roswell. And I was hoping that we were going to have both here today, but for some reason, Donald could not make it. So, Tom Carey, it's you and I. Hello, Tom. Welcome to Veritas. Nice to be with you, Mel. My pleasure. Well, for those who might not be familiar with the Roswell crash, Tom, why don't we give them a quick synopsis? Take us back to the summer of 1947. Paint a picture of what life was during that time after World War II and pretend we are living in the small town of Corona, New Mexico, when the event happened. Wow. Now, uh, just before I uh, answer your question, you have to realize that uh, I have like 31 years of small details on this case. And uh, it's very hard for me to uh, summarize things because, uh, you know, we're always chasing little little nuggets. You know what I mean? So, uh, but... Right after World War II, especially in a uh, remote place like New Mexico uh, and Corona, the the two towns involved in the Roswell story are Corona, New Mexico, which is more central, 
and uh, central in the state. And then uh, Roswell itself, which is in the southeastern quadrant of the state. Now, uh, this is a uh, very remote. They uh, the ranches didn't have electricity. Certainly, no television. With well, not many people had TV anyway in 1947. But uh, they might have received a weekly newspaper of some sort. But that's about it. And uh, uh, New Mexico at the time was a hotbed of nuclear research and military activity. The, the uh, captured German uh, V-2 rockets from World War II were being tested from Alamogordo uh, Field, uh, Alamogordo, uh, White Sands, New Mexico. And they were testing the V-2 rockets. The uh, Los Alamos uh, Laboratories, which uh, helped develop the, the atomic bomb, was located in the northeastern quadrant of uh, New Mexico, north of uh, Albuquerque. And uh, I'm leaving out the uh, – there's a weapons development uh, facility. Uh, the name escapes me, uh, Mel. Um, Sandia. Sandia Base. Uh, nuclear weapons, uh, regular weapons. So there's a lot of military scientific stuff going on in New Mexico. And now uh, Corona is a, is a ranching town, very small. Uh, and that's where the, the uh, finder, the first uh, fellow who got this whole case started, that's where he had a ranch. Now, Right after World War II, our military was like on a, a pedestal. It's not like it is today where, you know, you don't always believe what the military is telling you. And certainly the, the newspapers, uh, right at, you know, beginning with Vietnam, don't, don't accept at face value anything that the military says. But back in 1947, the, our military was at the height of its influence having uh, dispatched the uh, Germans, uh, helping to dispatch the Germans in Europe and the Japanese in the Pacific. So anything they said at that time tended to be believed, unlike today. So uh, the country is coming out of World War II, trying to get on a uh, civilian footing. Uh, the post-war boom is about to start. And uh, all of a sudden, on June 24th, 1947, something called flying saucers burst onto the scene. Now, during World War II, Allied pilots, uh, bombers and fighters, uh, they encountered these bright globs of light, and that's what they appeared to be, that they called Foo Fighters, uh, uh, which is French for, uh, I don't know, it's either false or fire. I forget which one it was that they were trying to describe, uh, but uh, they were encountering these things they called Foo Fighters, and they thought they were German, of German origin, just some some uh, Wunderwaffen, some wonder weapon that they had developed. The Germans on the other side, they thought it was an allied Wunderwaffen. So nobody really knew what these things were or who manufactured them. 
So here we come uh, to 1947. The war is over for two years. We already have our next adversary being the Soviet Union. The Cold War is about to start. In fact, it's already started because Winston Churchill in 1946 in a small Missouri college, he was brought, you know, he came over to the U.S. to, uh, because he had been voted out of office, believe it or not, uh, helped uh, win the war and they voted him out of office over there in Great Britain. But uh, so he came over in a small college in uh, Missouri, he said, from Stettin in the Baltic to Trieste in the Adriatic. It's like an iron curtain has descended upon the continent of Europe. And that sort of uh, set the stage for the Cold War, iron curtain, Cold War beginning. So you have these uh, June 24th. 1947, uh, a businessman who was also a private pilot by the name of uh, Kenneth Arnold. He's flying from uh, uh, Boise, Idaho to someplace in Montana or vice versa. (laughs) I forget. I'm sorry. It's one of the two. But he's near Mount Rainier in Washington State. And he sees these nine objects flying in echelon formation, like like uh, the tail of a kite, how the, how the tail of a kite flaps. And uh, he was able to time th- their speed at something around 1,200 miles an hour. Now, back in 1947, we didn't have anything that went 1,200 miles an hour. We do today, but not back in 1947. And this is near Mount Rainier. And uh, so he lands and he reports it and the press uh, got wind of the story and they all flocked to the airport. They said, uh, Mr. Arnold, Mr. Arnold, what what did they look like? He said, well, uh, if you take a a, a plate, a plate, a saucer, like, you know, coffee cup and saucer, and you threw it uh, over a quiescent pond it would skip it would skip like a saucer a flying saucer and someone coined the name flying saucer from that interview so uh, right then it was uh oh what are these you know headlines around the uh, country initially what are these things called flying saucers where are they from and uh, i think one newspaper even uh, uh, put out a uh, three, $3,000 reward for a piece of one. And uh, so that's what's going on June 24th, a week and a half later. This is only a week and a half later since the start of the modern age of UFOs or flying saucers, the Roswell crash occurs. June 2nd, 1947. It, it took us a long time to to nail the date down, but we were able to nail it down because the witnesses uh, uh, in, in the Corona area, especially, uh, they remember that it, uh, it, it happened during a thunder and a lightning storm on June. This uh, They just remembered it. They heard this strange explosion during this thunder and lightning storm during the first week of July. 
1947. Well, uh, you know, when we interviewed them, they couldn't remember the date, but we uh, researched the date with weather data. And the only thunder and lightning storm in central New Mexico late at night was on June the 2nd. So that's how we were able to pinpoint. You mean July? Yeah. Oh, did I say? I'm sorry, July. And I'm so glad, Tom, that you are nailing down the date because for decades I've been hearing it was all the way from mid-June to the beginning of July, but nobody could actually pinpoint that date. So with the witness testimony. July 2nd. Yeah, July 2nd, 1947, right. Yeah. Late at night, maybe between 11 and 11 p.m. and midnight. And that's that's from the witnesses and, and the weather data. I mean, we went back and forth until we got the weather data. I mean, we uh, uh, we had it as late as July 4th, uh, July 1st, uh, but we were able to get the weather data that the only storm, thunderstorm that week in central New Mexico was on the evening of July 2nd. So we were able to pin that down. took a long time, but we were able to do it. So that uh, – so – the next day, this fellow rancher from Corona named Mac uh, William Ware Mac Brazel, he's out to check his uh, his sheep, the sheep, and he comes across in uh, one of the pastures this about a mile long and a couple hundred feet wide. This uh, all this strange metal. Uh, strewn about a lot of it covering uh, an area about a mile long by several hundred feet wide. What is this stuff? It had all these strange properties. And uh, so he, he gathered up uh, some of it, put it in uh, two cardboard boxes. And uh, that's the morning of July the 3rd. We're talking about now about the morning of July the 3rd. He has a, Rancher's son, uh, the neighbor's son named Timothy D. Proctor is with him, and they, they come across all this uh, strange material. Well, the next day is July the 4th, so they have the rodeo in uh, Carrizozo, uh, New Mexico, and he takes some of this stuff with him, and he, you know, he showed it around. Nobody knew what it was. What is this stuff? Some of it was very, very thin, you know, like a piece of uh, tin foil. But you couldn't bend it, and you couldn't cut it, you couldn't scratch it. The strangest piece was the what we call memory metal, where you could it was very flexible. You could wad it up in your hand like a piece of cellophane, and then let you open up your hand, and it would unfurl itself and just sort of float there in the air, you know, as it slowly falls to the ground. And that's what we call memory metal. And it, it had people stupefied. What is this stuff? Well, he he didn't know and they didn't know. So uh, the next day, this this would be July the 5th, Brazel, uh, after he does his chores on the ranch, he takes a piece of this memory metal and goes to uh, Wade's Bar in uh, Corona. You know, to hoist a few uh, tall ones. And in at uh, Wade's bar, he, he passes it around. What is this stuff, guys? Any, any of you know what this stuff is? And they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. And somebody says, 
maybe it's from one of those flying saucer things that uh, people are starting to talk about. And you know, Mac, there's a $3,000 reward for a piece of one of those things. Oh, yeah? Well, the next day, Sunday, July the 6th, Mac Brazzle gets in his dusty pickup and travels the 75 miles from his bunkhouse uh, on the J.B. Foster Ranch near Corona. He makes a 75-mile trip to Roswell. Uh, he heads for the sheriff's office because be- before Mac left uh, Corona for Roswell, he discovered uh, something else. Now, you know, when you're a rancher and you're, you know, that's your life, you're out there, you're very sensitive to changes in the environment. And he noticed the, some birds of prey circling about uh, a mile and a half from his uh, ranch, but it was still on the ranch, but from the bunkhouse. And he, he smelled something strange in the air, something strange in the air, about a mile and a half away, very faint. But he could see the, the uh, birds of prey, vultures, what have you, circling something. So uh, Timothy D. Proctor is with him, and they go over to this low bluff. And lo and behold, there's two diminutive little bodies atop this bluff, obviously dead, obviously not human. They're humanoid, but they're not human. And the overriding feature was its frail, frail body, about three and a half feet, uh, three feet tall, with an oversized oval-shaped head, obviously not human. So this has, really has him upset. I mean, he was going to head for Roswell anyway to get somebody to clean up he, because his sheep wouldn't cross this pasture. It spooked them. Whatever was in the pasture spooked the sheep. To get them to water, you have to, they had to go over this pasture, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't go over it. So he wanted somebody out there who was responsible for that stuff to clean it up. But then, just before he left, he comes across these two little bodies. You know, what, what the hell is going on here? What is this stuff? And so he heads for the sheriff's office in Roswell, uh, where the uh, Sheriff George Wilcox, who the uh, sheriff of Chavez County, the county seat was in Roswell. So he goes to the sheriff's office. Hey, George, what, 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 what is this? What is this stuff? And he told him about the, the field of strange metal and the, that uh, someone told him that it could be a flying saucer. Wilcox doesn't believe any of this. He knows that this uh, metal is funny, funny, but he doesn't believe Brazel's story. So just then the, the telephone rings, and it's a fellow by the name of uh, Frank Joyce. He's a, an announcer on radio station KGFL in Roswell. It's Sunday afternoon now, somewhere around noontime. He's spinning records and telling the folks where they could buy cattle feed and that sort of stuff. And uh, he calls the sheriff's office out of, you know, a sort of perfunctory to, uh, hey, you know, anything that uh, happening in, in your, your area, Sheriff Wilcox, that I can put on the air. 
you know, auto crash, uh, some, uh, you know. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.